You are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California. We hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message. Thank you for that. Praise the Lord. All right, keep your Bibles out, the book of Habakkuk. Uh, did you find it yet? All right, Habakkuk, uh, here chapter number three. We look at the book of Habakkuk, and it is a passage that we would consider and call a pre-captivity passage. When we think about the Old Testament, uh, there's a lot of the Old Testament that revolves around a 70-year period of time. Uh, it was called the Babylonian captivity. And during this time, uh, we have Habakkuk, who was a prophet. He was a pre-captivity prophet. Uh, Assyria is no longer a world power. Uh, Habakkuk's ministry began about 21 years prior to the Babylonian captivity, but we believe that this time uh, is about 609 uh, B.C. And about 609 B.C. is the time where uh, just a few years before, uh, or right after that, we'll find that in 605, Nebuchadnezzar is going to invade Judah. Uh, 586, Jerusalem will be destroyed. Uh, but there will be multiple attacks on God's people. Nebuchadnezzar, a wicked heathen king that God raised up as a part of judging his people. You know, we think God is a God of love, and I preached about that this morning, and he is. Absolutely, he is. But he's also a God of justice. And parents, just as you love your children, you will discipline them when they do not do what they're supposed to do. It is the, the discipline is there to help them succeed. You discipline them not because you hate them. You discipline them because you love them. God disciplines his people not because he hates them, but because he loves them. And God gives, gives us instruction, and he expects those instructions to be followed. And so here, as we, we look at this passage, we see that the conquering king was uh, on the scene, Nebuchadnezzar. He was, uh, he was a world power, so he was conquering. He was, he was uh, taking over territory and just uh, raising in power and uh, and those, those events are, are in the, the near future. The prophets are all preaching and teaching and telling the people, you need to repent. You need to repent. Judgment is coming if you don't repent. And that message was going out. And, uh, and here we see how Habakkuk, uh, the prophet, uh, his name is only mentioned two times in the Bible. One in chapter 1, verse 1, and then an, again in chapter number 3 in verse 1. In both instances, it is Habakkuk the prophet. Historians believe that Habakkuk was a prophet, not, not as in just an individual who prophesied. He was a prophet who, that, he was a prophet which was, that was his only job. It was his career. We think about some people that prophesied. Saul prophesied, uh, yet he was still a king. That the, being a prophet was not his, uh, was not his uh, job or his uh, role in life. It was something that he did. There are other people that had prophesied, but they were not a full-time prophet. Uh, and so uh, Habakkuk, though they believed that he was a full-time prophet, you could be a prophet and a priest, you could be a prophet and a king, but only one could be prophet, priest, and king. When we think about the prophet, and we look at, uh, we look here at Habakkuk, and we believe that he was not only a prophet, but he also was a priest. When you look at the worship, and chapter three, it'll go through the psalm. Uh, and the leading of worship, uh, they believe that it was a psalm that was used in worship, 
and that he was a, a worship, uh, he would lead in worship there as a priest. And so, so Habakkuk was a prophet, and he was also a priest. Uh, we think about Samuel. Samuel was a prophet, but he was also a priest. He would offer the sacrifices. And so you could be a prophet, you could be a prophet and a priest, you could be a priest, uh, and, but then you could not be a prophet, priest, and king. And that's what got Saul into trouble. Uh, Saul uh, was a prophet, he prophesied. Uh, he was a king, he was anointed king. But you remember that, take your Bibles, we'll just go look at it. Uh, go to 1 Samuel chapter 13. Uh, we find how Samuel, or how Saul, uh, he was waiting for Samuel to come. And, and uh, Samuel was going to offer some sacrifices. But Samuel delayed in his coming. Uh, look at 1 Samuel 13, and let's look at verse number 6. 1 Samuel 13, look at verse 6. The Bible says, when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews uh, over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead, as for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. And he tarried seven days according to the time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So notice here, uh, Samuel had told Saul that he was going to come at a certain time. He did not come. And you know, God's timing is not our timing. And sometimes we just have to wait on God. Have you ever tried to get ahead of God? And here, that's what's taking place. Now look with me uh, at verse number 9. It says, uh, And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, The Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a, a man after his own heart. And the Lord had, hath commanded him to be captain over his people. Because thou hast not kept that which the Lord hath commanded thee. Do you think it was an accident that Samuel showed up as soon as Saul had finished offering the sacrifice? No. Here, what do we find? We find Saul acting in fear. He acted in presumption, taking on him a job that was not his to do. And here, with that, he lost everything. And, you know, when we, we look at life, we see here that God was waiting just for obedience. Thou hast not obeyed. And the Bible tells us that obedience is better than sacrifice. And here we see that Saul had, had entered into that prophet, priest, and king, and the kingdom uh, was taken away from him. So here we, we see Habakkuk, though, and we find the prophet Habakkuk, and we find a prayer. Go back to our, to our text, Habakkuk chapter 3, and verse number 1. A prayer of Habakkuk, the son, or the prophet upon Shiganoth, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid.'" 
O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. And tonight, I just want to preach to you on the topic, a prayer of the prophet. A prayer of the prophet. Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight and give us insight, wisdom. I pray that you'd help us to be challenged uh, and motivated in our service for you. I pray, God, that you would make us uh, just recognize our great need uh, for you. And Lord, that, uh, that we, would, we would sense an urgency about our service. We would sense an urgency about our relationship with you. And so work now in our midst. Those that are here, those that are watching online, uh, speak to all of us, please. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. A prayer of the prophet. Habakkuk's prayer was a prayer that was the result of a burden. Have you ever prayed with a burden? Praying with a great need. And in that great need, there is great passion. When there is a great need, there is a great urgency. And when we look at this prayer uh, of, uh, of Habakkuk, uh, this prayer was not a casual prayer. We've all prayed those casual prayers, haven't we? We've prayed those, now I lay me down to sleep prayers. We've prayed those prayers that we just, we know the words. We just go through the motions. But then there's times when there's a prayer that is a result of a great burden of our heart. There's a great need that's there. Go back to chapter 1, Habakkuk 1. And here we we see the beginning of all that is going to transpire in this book. And it's a result of verse number one. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. The burden. His position as prophet was one he was called of God. And in this calling of God and seeing things from the perspective that God had given to him, he is seeing and having a burden. You know, when I think about the prophet here, this, this prophet, and I stated that he was a full-time prophet, you know, when we think of full-time, we think of a job. Ministry is not a job. And there are people that are in ministry that we're not careful, it can become a job. But here when we see this prophet, there is a burden, and the result of the burden was an action that was going to transpire. You know, if someone wants a, a career, a nine to five, they need to be a banker. And don't get into the ministry, uh, because that's not uh, what you have. But... With that, you see a burden, and, and Habakkuk was a man who had a burden. He had a burden to accomplish something. He had a burden to see things change for God's glory, and he was a burdened individual that had to do something about what he saw. You remember he said, the burden which Habakkuk, the prophet, what are those next two words? Did see. You see, mine eye affecteth my heart, the Bible says. And here, the, the prophet, he was seeing some things, and what he saw was creating a burden in his heart, and, and what he saw was something he, he could not uh, just be apathetic about. He could not do nothing about. He had to do something about what he saw. And I want you to see, first of all, number one, the indifference of God and his people. The burden of Habakkuk, the prophet, what he saw was the indifference of God 
and of his people. When you read through the book of Habakkuk, you find, God, uh, you find Habakkuk looking heavenward, and he's looking at God saying, God, why aren't you doing something? He was looking uh, heavenward as though God was indifferent. And let me tell you something, God is not indifferent. God is never indifferent. Uh, God cares uh, about everything that's going on. God has a plan about all that is going on and all that will go on. And in this sovereign plan of God, uh, he is not indifferent. Sometimes we feel like because he's not showing up on our timetable that God isn't listening. Have you ever felt like God was indifferent? Have you ever felt like your prayer hit the ceiling and that was as far as it went? Have you ever prayed and as you're praying you are feeling like you are pouring out your heart and you are uh, using words and you are trying to communicate God but you feel like you are all by yourself? That's where Habakkuk is, it, is at. He sees all that is going on. He sees what's going on with God's people. He sees what's going on in the nation of Israel. He sees the, the messengers that are coming and preaching and proclaiming that God is going to judge Israel and that they need to repent and turn. And God's people are indifferent to that. Uh, they are going on as if nothing is going to change. There is no sense of urgency uh, in their step. There is no certain sense of urgency in their service. There's no sense of urgency in their sanctification holiness they're living a life of sin and they're ignoring God and and the prophets looking at it and he's seeing the indifference of God's people and he's asking God to do something about it and he feels as though God is being indifferent but God is not being indifferent God is just giving time God gives time for us to change. If we're honest, all of us can say that we have experienced since times of indifference. And if that is going to change, it changes as God continues to work and gives us some time and we get it right. But sometimes God's people have that sense of apathy, a sense of indifference, and nothing changes. The clock continues to turn, and eventually judgment will come. You know, God is the same God of Habakkuk's day today. America is a blessed nation. We have been blessed many in many ways. We have, we have been blessed with freedom. We have been blessed economically. We have been blessed with a, dem a democratic sense of a republic, a, a government that uh, for the for the most part, uh, is for our freedoms. We are blessed in so many ways. And with those blessings come responsibilities. America has been the nation that has sent out the missionaries around the world. But that's not the same case anymore. Why? We are becoming so comfortable. Not everybody. But we've become comfortable. And that sense of urgency has wavered. And so tonight as we look at this and we see uh, this 
this prophet, and he's looking at the indifference. He thinks that God is indifferent, and his people is indifferent. Habakkuk chapter 1, look at verse number uh, 2. He said, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee out of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are, uh, and there are that rise up, uh, raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slack, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. And the prophet here, he was seeing the, the sinfulness of God's people. He's looking at the grievances that God's people were having amongst themselves. And let me tell you something. When there's grievances between God's people, there's a problem. There's a problem. And he goes on. Uh, there were grievances. Those were the arguments, the fights, the divisions. There was the spoiling. He's not talking about the world. He's talking about God's people. And as he's talking about what's going on with God's people, the spoiling. What was spoiling? Spoiling was something that would take place when somebody would go in and take over somebody else's land. They would take their property. They would take their possessions. Uh, they would even take the persons and make them into slaves. Uh, we saw that uh, this spoiling, uh, it was a time where people were, were taking and stealing that which did not belong to them. Uh, and that always ties to that next thing, uh, violence. Uh, the lack of moral fabric was there. And there was, there was uh, uh, their liberty was no longer afforded uh, to mankind. And, and there was violence that was there. Uh, that the attitude of only the strong shall live. I think about think about the needy in our community. What's our attitude toward them? If we're not careful, our attitude can be it's their fault. You know that mindset, strong shall live. Well, they did what I did, pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. If we're not careful, we can get that type of an attitude. And what do we see? We just see that uh, these, these are individuals where there, there was a lack of moral fabric. Life did not matter. Uh, uh, those that were instigating uh, strife and contention are mentioned here. People that were just stirring stuff up. That was, that was going on in, in the nation at that time. Uh, the, the law was, was slack. He said judgment was not meted out. There was, there was no justice that was there. The wicked were outnumbering the righteous. They, encom they encompassed them about. Uh, the wrong judgment was prevailing, uh, and uh, it proceeded uh, forth. The attitude of apathy and indifference was prevailing among God's people. And with that, the prophet, he had a burden for what he saw. He was looking what's going on and he's thinking, how can this be the case? How can people who claim to know God allow this to go on? How can, how can they not only know that it's going on, how can they participate in it? And the prophet uh, was looking heavenward, and God appeared to be silent. And the prophet was wondering, hey, God, don't you see what's going on? Don't you know what's taking place? And he was looking uh, at the direction of his nation and the division that was there and the destruction that was coming. And, and it was the burden which Habakkuk, the prophet, did see. The prophet was burdened. God wasn't reproving, and God's people weren't repenting. 
So here, as the prophet sees what's going on, now he has to do something about it. You know, when we see something's going on, we've got to do something about it. And it starts with us. You see, I can't change anybody else, but I can change me. And here as this prophet, he is recognizing all that's going on. Uh, and he's crying out, he's, he's, he's looking heavenward and he's looking outward. And he's looking for God to do something. He's looking for God's people to change and they are not changing. So go back to our text, uh, Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse number 1. He says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shiganoth. Uh, what do we find here? This prophet, uh, he couldn't stop the sin and he couldn't change the direction of the nation, but he could plead his cause to God, and he did. He could pray. You know what? Tonight, we can throw our hands up with our nation. We can throw our hands up with our governor. We can throw our hands up in our community. And we can just say, well, I can't do anything. Or we can have a burden, and we can pray. We can pray. You see, if we do nothing, nothing will change. Let me ask you a question. Can you fix it? No. Can God fix it? God can. So instead of us just having a, a, a lackadaisical attitude about it. And instead of us just stepping back and throwing up our hands, well, you know, I tried. That's not enough. We've got to pray. We have got to pray. Secondly, we see the importunity of the prophet. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, upon Shiganoth. Uh, he couldn't stop everything that was going on. He couldn't change that direction, but he could plead, plead his cause, and he did. Uh, it was a prayer of Habakkuk, uh, a, a burdened prayer. And he was an individual that was burdened for what was going on around him. And he knew that he needed God's help. And he knew that the nation needed God's help. And they needed a revival and they needed to respond to the, the preaching and teaching. And we can't make anybody else respond but we can make sure that our heart is right with God. And our heart will not be right with God if we don't care. And if we don't care enough to pray... We don't care. You see, the burden, pray. The fervency of our prayer is dependent upon the burden of our heart. Let me ask you a question. Do you, not only do you pray, or are you burdened in your prayer? The ignorant are not burdened. And I'm not saying that mean. But when we bury our head in the sand so we can't see what's going on, there's no way for us to have a burden. And we have to be able to look, our, look around and see what is transpiring in the world around us. So we can't have a burden. So our prayers are relevant to the great needs that are here. And there is a need in our nation. Uh, there, prayer was the end. Habakkuk, it started with that burden, and then that, that burden moved him to prayer. Uh, take your Bibles, go to James chapter 4. When you look at all that uh, Habakkuk named as a part of the condition of God's people, uh, let's go to James chapter 4, and let's see uh, what, how that is even played out in the New Testament. James chapter 4, look with me at verse number 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? 
Come they not hence, even of your own lust, that war with uh, war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon upon your lust. Excuse me. Uh, so here, uh, what do we what do we do? Look at all that we do in order to get what we want. And then if we can't get it that way, then we pray. He, he lists all these things the people are doing to try to get something that they desire. And then God says, you have not because you ask not. And then when they do pray, we pray that we may consume it upon our own lust. It's not about anybody else, it's about us. And here, uh, that prayer's in. Uh, and, and here we see that uh, the, the, uh, the wars and the fightings and the lust and the killing, uh, and here, what we, uh, what we will do when we want something bad enough and have a burden for it, uh, spiritually speaking, we should be burdened enough to want to pray. A prayer that is driven by a burdened heart. A prayer that is seeing what's going on. Habakkuk said in verse number 2, O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. He said, O Lord, remember mercy. O Lord, restore our nation. He was, he was just asking God to be uh, to be active and engaged in the needs of the people. Uh, it was a burden, and it became a prayer. Uh, and that burden and a prayer, and that burden and a prayer, and the burden would grow, and the prayer would grow, and that burden would grow, and that prayer would grow. And here we have a man who was just sensing that he had to do something. Now, his interaction did not change the result. Judgment Still came. But his response changed him. It changed him. The condition of the world, the burden that he had, it changed his relationship with his God. You know, prayer isn't just about changing. The circumstances, prayer oftentimes is what will change us. And here the prophet was praying and he saw that uh, the need. Uh, Warren Wiersbe said this, he said, God doesn't reveal himself to superficial saints who are only looking for a new experience that they can brag about or curious Christians who want to sample deeper fellowship with God but not at too great a price. You see, this burden that this burden that Habakkuk had, it drove him to pray. But prayer is not always an enjoyable experience. Prayer and what it takes to get to know God isn't always enjoyable. Now, you're looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. Let's look at a couple things. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Don't change the screen, just leave the screen. Just grab your Bibles, go to Hebrews chapter 12. Look with me at verse number 18. Hebrews 12, 18. The Bible says, For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that they should not be spoken to them any more. 
For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. You know, having a relationship with God and a closest with God isn't all fuzzy feelings. And sometimes coming into his presence through the ages we see Moses here that he trembled at Mount Sinai. There was fear, there was trembling as he came into the presence of God. Uh, go to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. You know the story, Joshua, they were about to go into Jericho. Joshua chapter 5, look with me at verse number 13. Joshua judges Ruth. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the, the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship uh, and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? What happened? He fell on his face before God. I think about David in 1 Chronicles 21 uh, as he uh, is facing the Lord. The angel of the Lord stood between him. Uh, he fell on his face uh, upon uh, the Lord, uh, 1 Chronicles 21. Daniel, uh, we think about Daniel chapter uh, 10 and verse number 11. The Bible says, And he said unto me, O Daniel, uh, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright. For unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. I stood trembling. Go to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. We find the Lord and Peter, James, and John, and they are up on top of the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew chapter 17. Look with me at verse number 6. And let's read this together. Matthew 17, 6. You ready? And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. They fell on their face and they were sore afraid. You know, as that burden grows and as that relationship grows, there are times where if God gives a supernatural experience as he did in these times, what do we see? The response was fear. Their response was trembling. You know, coming into the presence of God, there should be a understanding who God is. If we are going to pray and we are going to pray with a burden, we've got to recognize that we are coming into the presence of a holy God. You don't come into God's presence just casually. You don't come into God's presence without, without that reality of where we're at. You know, when we think about Habakkuk's prayer, this prayer wasn't a thank you for the food prayer. The prayers that Habakkuk was praying, they were prayers driven by a broken country, a broken society, a broken church. The believers 
had rejected God. And here in that condition, the prophet is pouring out his, his heart. And he says in verse number 1, chapter 3, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet unto Shigenoth, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known in wrath, remember mercy. And this, this prayer was a prayer seeking revival. A prayer seeking revival. You know, we need to be a people that are a little deeper than I had fun at church. We need to be a people that there is some spiritual depth to. And here is Habakkuk is praying. He's saying, revive thy work in the midst of the years. He's saying, God, give us life again. Give us life again. You know, I'm asking God to revive my heart. I'm asking God to revive our church. I'm asking God to revive his work in the midst of the years. And, and let me tell you, we have, we have seen some blessings, and I'm not discounting them, but, but if we are going to continue in a time that is, it is getting darker and is a time where there's more pressure and more persecution and there are more problems coming into the churches and the battles that we are facing, we are not going to fight and win these battles with a shallow, weak faith. We need God to revive us. A prayer of revival for ourselves, A prayer of revival for our family. A prayer of revival for our church. A prayer of revival for our community. A prayer of revival for our state. A prayer of revival for our nation. And a prayer of revival for our world. And God is able to bring revival. God has given revival over the, the decades. God has given revival. And, and they are few and far between. But revival is something that God still wants. He wants us to have a heart that is in tune with him. I believe that he has placed us in such a time as this, in these days, in this community, this assembly, and there are people that he wants us to reach. Uh, but if we are going to reach them, uh, it's going to be more than us just having programming. If we are going to reach them, it's more than us just having uh, nice facilities and a nice place to come. Uh, we have got to have God's, uh, God's presence in our lives. We have got to have God's power in our lives, and we need revival. A prayer of the prophet. And that prayer was for God revive his people. Revive thy work in the midst of the years. And in that, that prayer for revival was a prayer that God would continue to show mercy. And for us to experience the grace of God, it comes at the hand of the mercy of God. And we need Revival. Let me ask you a question. Draw yourself, draw a circle around yourself. How are you doing spiritually? I didn't ask how your class is doing. I didn't ask how your business is doing. I didn't ask how your family is doing. How are you doing spiritually? I don't know about you, but I feel like we've got to hit a reset. Think about the disengage. I talk to pastors. What I'm hearing over and over and over again is we don't have workers. 
Stephen, to be honest with you, when we started choir back up, I expected 30 people to be up there. Just being honest. Because it was shut down and it was an opportunity to be able to serve again. Well, you know, I got to give up. I got to come up to church early, have practice. It's changed. Churches all around the nation want to start their Sunday school classes back up, but they don't have Sunday school teachers. It's a reality. Talked to a pastor this week. We've got our buses sitting there, but we don't have any bus workers. I can't get anybody to drive a bus. Now, praise the Lord, we've got two buses running. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful we've got Sunday school teachers. And I'm thankful that there are people in the choir. But let me tell you something. There is an apathy that's across the board. And it's real. We got comfortable during COVID. There were no big days. But stop and think about how many people are getting saved now compared to what they were getting saved before COVID. Think about how many people walk an aisle now. And I don't need somebody to walk an aisle to make me feel better about a message. But you need to walk an aisle for yourself. Charles G. Finney was the man that really promoted the altar call. He put what he called mourner's benches down front. And what happened is during those revivals, people would come, they would pour their heart out to God, people would come to get saved, people would come to get, uh, be recommitted, people would come to get right with God. And as those decisions were being made, it breathed life back into the church. You know, when we have visitors sitting on a Sunday morning and nobody moves to an, to an altar, what would make you think that the visitor would that needs to get saved is going to step out in front of 150 people and walk an aisle. Our responsiveness is not just about us. But our non-responsiveness is about us. Here I think about the different revivals, 1820s to 1850s, throughout America and England. Charles G. Finney would offer fiery messages of repentance. The big tents were constructed for meetings lasting weeks and weeks. When I got saved, church would have revivals for, for a week. If we have a revival from Sunday to Wednesday, by Wednesday, I'm hearing about it. Preacher, it's too many nights. You know what almost is always the excuse? Kids. Almost always. Pastor, the kids have school. You know what? The kids need preaching more than they need school. Now, some of you don't agree with that because that was just obvious by your countenance. You know what? They need the Word of God more than they need to know how to parse their sentences. I'm looking at the teach English teachers. 
They need, they need, they need preaching and know, need to know God's word. And God's working in their life more than they need algebra. Teachers, you better buy into this. The reality is, God's word what's going to change their life. How many? I, I have used algebra and geometry outside school. In construction, you use it. How many else, how many other people have used it for something other than classroom? Other than classroom? Is it construction? Flying, okay. All right. Yeah, it's good for a, good for a pilot to be able to triangulate. All right, that's a, good, that's a good thing. All right, same thing, flying. But it's amazing how education, and I'm for education, and our kids know how, our school, they're learning all of these things. But education has become a god in America. And families will stay home because they don't want their kids to stay up late so they can go to school. Yet they'll stay up late when they're at home watching TV. It's amazing. What happened? We, we need revival. We need to recognize the great sense of our need for God. And we need Him in our life. We need Him in our family. We need Him in our church. We need Him in our ministries, our nation. A prayer of the prophet. You know, I think all of us need to grab a hold of his prayer. And it shouldn't just be the prophet's prayer. It should be our prayer. We need God to be actively engaged in our life, in the life of his people. And we need to have a burden for that. And we need to have a prayer about that. Father, I pray that you'd help us. Thank you for all you have done. Thank you for being a God that uh, gives uh, us time to get things right, for being a God that is merciful and gracious. Uh, but Lord, we come before you recognizing, Lord, we are, uh, we are in a, a world that uh, has, ha has become uh, so complacent about the things of God. And I pray that you'd help that not to be the case in our lives and in our uh, homes, our family, our church. Uh, Lord, help us uh, as, as believers, God, to sense our great need for you. Help us to have a burden, uh, Lord, to represent you and to see change uh, in the lives of those and our own life and the life of others. So work now, please. Speak to hearts. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's bbc, the number four, me.org. May God bless you.